Hi there, and welcome back to the Embodied Healing Journey podcast. Just as a reminder, I am so passionate about healing, learning about embodiment, learning about different modalities and what people are up to. You may have noticed lately I've had a few different people on who are bringing different elements to healing. I'm really excited about this episode. It was my first episode where I got to do an interview in person with somebody. This person is Tracy Gray. She just recently published a book called Women Who Walk With Horses. I will add in the show notes a link to her website and also a link to uh, Amazon where you can find her either her e-reader book, I think on Kindle, or the uh, paperback version of her book. I think you'll discover after hearing our conversation how rich and deep her knowledge about horses and also healing come together and culminate what I think is such an amazing combination of skills. I know that there's people out there who practice equine therapy. And as I say repeatedly throughout this episode, I know nothing about that world. But what I can tell you about Tracy is... I do believe in the equine therapy or therapeutic world, I do believe she brings a uniqueness from her background of trainings. And I had the opportunity to work with her and a horse about a week before we did this episode. And I could tell that her knowledge of horses combined with her understanding of us human beings and healing makes her really astute at noticing things that the horses are doing that I don't think anybody who, who hasn't had the time with horses that she has can bring to the equation. And the reason this is so important is what the horses are doing is such rich information in a therapeutic context. And the fact that she can read the horses the way she can brings so much richness to the experience that her clients must be experiencing with her. She mentioned at one point in the interview that she watches pretty rapid shifts in people over as little as a three-month period of time when working with them. And I think part of that is that it sounds like the horses offer that, but also I think Tracy's just amazing at what she does and offers opportunities pretty swiftly because she's so attuned to what's going on. I also wanted to share before listening to the interview the one little experience I had with the horse uh, when I was there. Because her and I talk about how horses offer a moment-to-moment opportunity to create change on a body level. And I'll share what happened with me to illustrate the speed at which something shifted for me. I am super unfamiliar and tentative around horses. I was standing next to a horse, and it was positioned in a way where it wasn't in an optimal position. And Tracy said to me, well, you have to ask the horse to move then, to be in the more optimal position. And I was like, what? Move the horse? And also, like, okay. So she said, give it a try place your hand on the horse's body and direct it with your hands and ask it to move. So I tentatively placed my hands on the horse and was kind of like, okay, horsey, move, move, please. 
and unsurprisingly, with my weak and tentative approach, the horse did not move. And I put my hands down and felt a bit defeated, like, I don't know what to do. And then she said, try again. <laughs> so I placed my hands on the horse again and was like, okay, horsey, come on. Could you please move? And once again, gave it a little shove. And once again, nothing happened. And then Tracy said, Kendra, take a moment and feel into your gut. Like feel into kind of that third chakra solar plexus place and imagine it's coming from there. Like feel it in your body as you ask it to move. So I was like, okay. I was still feeling a little bit tentative and freaked out, but I took a moment to feel into my gut and my body, placed my hands on the horse again and said, would you please move? Or something like that. And then the horse moved. So I wanted to share that moment because we talk about it in the interview, but I wanted to share a, an embodied experience I had because that was a week ago, but I remember what it felt like in my body to mean it on a body level and to not be hoping or thinking or incongruent. Like my words in my body when I was being tentative were not matching up and the horse is like, I don't know what you're talking about. If you don't mean it, you don't mean it and I'm not going to do it. So that all happened for me in a matter of minutes. I went from being incongruent in my message to understanding on a body level, oh, this is what it needs to feel like within myself in order to get that action to happen. And to me, given all the work I've done, that quite frankly blows my mind. So yeah, I wanted to share that story before we get into it. Other than that, I don't want to waste any more time because this conversation was one of my favorites. And uh, I was just delighted to have Tracy here and have this conversation. And before I start the interview, I just want to remind you that all parts of you are welcome here as we go through this interview and through this podcast. The parts of you that are excited, the parts of you that are upset, the parts of you that are angry, parts of you that are judgmental and confused, maybe inspired, maybe kind of sad, all of you is welcome. And I invite you to enjoy, hopefully as much as I did, this conversation with Tracy. So Tracy, are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be, Kendra. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, usually I record like a preamble ahead mm -hmm. of time, but I'm just gonna say to kind of just settle myself into this, that uh, like I said to you off mic, this is my first in-person podcast, so I'm excited and nervous, and um, it's a different experience. This is such a different experience from what I've experienced before. Nerve sighting. Nerve sighting, we call it. <laughs> We're like, oh, right, both of those emotions at the same time, melded into some little hot pot of, you know, yeah. belly gurgling and all the jazz. And that reminds me of Instagram posts I've seen of yours lately with the both and. Both and. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do write about that actually in the book, um, probably because 
interestingly, well, my last name is Gray, and so um, for many years I felt like I was quite black or quite white, either or, yes, no, good, bad, right, wrong, so the duality of it, and so now I'm like, oh... Somebody had said something about gray matter, and I was like, yes. So I'm like, ooh, gray matter. And really, it was kind of about these many shades of gray, um, which, as it plays out in, in life and choices, is like excited and nervous, um, masterful and a student, um, friend and um, teacher, um, sister and mother, you know, sort of both of those things, all of the above. So mm -hmm. I feel like it gives us permission to be spacious humans growing. I, I love that. I wrote down master student when you said that, um, because personally, I think that I need to learn a little bit more about it's okay to be masterful and learning. Um, so that one stuck out. But when you talked about the black and white versus gray, mm -hmm. I was learning from a relational therapist named Terry Real, who I love. And um, he was working with someone who was talking about the neurobiology of, I don't know if it's relationships, but he broke it down. And, and as you probably know, deeper in the brainstem, where our earlier stuff is all kind of residing, mm -hmm when we don't have the prefrontal cortex online, the gray matter, um, that, that brainstem part of us has a bit more to do with like our early developmental stuff and the more of a childlike response, which is black and white. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about bringing in the both and where when you, um, I hope this comes across in a kind way, but when you mature um, and you start to develop that relationship with your mature, prefrontal cortex in connection with the whole brainstem, you have less black and white and more nuance. Mm -hmm. I've been hearing the word nuance more lately in relationship to the world. The loss of nuance is what I'm hearing about, but we're going to bring it back, Tracy. <laughs> we're going to talk about it. Okay, so... Um, I, too, have heard a lot around nuance, actually, like, lately. Yeah. feels like the nuance, um, which reminds me of gray, right? Mm -hmm. All the sort of, like, layers and levels and uh, also, like, attunement, right? Sort of some of those, like, niche um, more contemplative qualities. Uh, and I think also when you were talking, I was like, right, the becoming, right, the learning, and then at some point the unlearning and the unbecoming and how sometimes that happens for us simultaneously or sometimes there's like a bit of a shifting point where we're like the learning and then the unlearning or the becoming and then the unbecoming. Uh, and that whole process feels very nuanced, I think, throughout our human and especially our adult development. Yeah, so by unlearning, do you mean um, we... So this is how I th see things, and I think my podcast has leaned towards ex explaining this this way, and for those who understand or agree with me, as we develop, a lot of our family of origin and culture, for lack of a better word, kind of programs into our deep into our brain and our nervous system how we are going to be in reaction to the world, then we get to a place where those things that supported or helped us survive up to a certain point, up until adulthood, 
might become things you need to unlearn. Is that kind of what you mean? And then would that be true? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. I think especially as kids, there's lots you accept as truth and not, and not question, especially depending on the context and the family that you have grown up in. There is an acceptance of like what authority speaks to your life and that that is true. And especially in patriarchal culture where you're like, really, you don't question the father, right? The head of the family, these things are just passed down and this is just so. Um, and so, now we're living in a very, very different time where so much is questioned. We're critically thinking all the time. We're teaching our children to critically think and ask questions and how to do that in a respectful, honoring, safe way. Um, and so, yeah, that's essentially what I think. That's, that certainly has been my experience, and that certainly has been the experience with people that I work with, as well as even the horses that I work with, right? Where they have had a certain level of domestication or training, and then at some point, some of that has to be unlearned so that they can actually rely on their intrinsic instincts and know that their instincts are good, right? And they can rely on them and count on them. And so the more we domesticate them, the more we have ultimately stripped them of their internal knowing. Right. And so I feel like that dynamic itself has a lot of resonance with women, where we're like, oh, if I only just trusted my gut, my internal knowing, I would have come to this conclusion so much sooner. However, all of my indoctrination and my taming, right, and my domesticating stripped me of my confidence to really know that this was the choice I should have made all along, or the one that I felt really res resonated with me, because we've been really taught to um, follow a, li a linear learning process rather than uh, know that what we feel is inherently good, you know, good for us, rather than um, might be good for us but slightly displeasing for somebody else. Mm. So I feel like I, I witness that process quite a lot in myself, in the horses, with others, and then it just sort of becomes this nuanced mm -hmm. uh, conversation that gets to kind of unfold in all these different ways. As you're talking, mm -hmm. I am just like, man, this conversation could go on for hours because there's so <laughs> totally. many things and directions I want to talk about. But I feel like this is a good segue into talking about or starting the conversation about the fact that you just published a book mm -hmm. recently called Women Who Walk With Horses. I, s I went through and read most of it. I did mm -hmm. not complete it. I made so many notes in that book partly because I knew we were going to be talking like this, but also, um, well, yeah, because I knew we would be talking, but there were also things that I, like, highlighted and were, like, yes, and felt so relevant, partially to what I'm talking about on this podcast about embodiment, mm -hmm. obviously, because we're going to get into that. But um, I also just recently have listened to a little slew of podcasts about feminine... I'm sure you're going to be able to speak to this, but about women... And what being in our own power would look like. Um, it's kind of what you're talking about. But not in the context of the patriarchal, in a way, more about like what, yeah, I don't even know how to word it, which I'm sure you would. It also, as I listened to these podcasts, it made me ask questions about my own relationship to my femininity, mm -hmm. my feminine embodiment. And what I will share with you now, and, and then we can go with it is the work I did with my teacher Myrna Martin was about early developmental trauma resolution where we were coming into our body and feeling the things that we couldn't feel at that time and being supported 
So it, was an, it wasn't called an embodiment practice, but what ends up happening as you resolve trauma that has been stored in the body, as you would know, mm-hmm. is you can then land in and be more connected to your body. Mm-hmm. Hence the name of this, con- this podcast being The Embodied Healing Journey. What I recently discovered about myself was that although I've done a lot of that, the feminine part, like feeling my feminine body... I don't even know what that means right now. I'm on a, I'm on a like, I was like, what pieces of my body am I not in contact with? Is it in my body? Is it in my psyche? Is this in my, yeah, where is it this, that this resides? Like, am I meant to connect more with my pelvic floor or my womb or, or the organs that are feminine? Like, as you can tell, I'm, I'm excited and confused. <laughs> and I just said a lot, which I'm trying to get to your book. <laughs> but I'm excited about all of it. And, um, but I wanted to ask you questions about embodiment from your perspective and working with horses and women, like you just mentioned. And if everything I just said, I'm sure you've got actually a lot to say or some, yeah, something to say. So start with your book and then go into wherever you want to go with that. Okay. Um, so the book. Okay, so interestingly, what I'm going to start with with the book um, is honoring my own experience with what is it actually like to be in the seat of like a published author. Like I wrote a book and I published a book. And interestingly, you know, I've just been talking about it. It's sort of just come out this last week. So there's a bit of hubbub and buzz around it. And in my mind, I'm excited, but in my body, I'm like constricted, um, which is very interesting for me because that's my dilemma is like, I'm, I have much more stronger connection to my masculine self. I'm very comfortable in my masculine. I can get shit done, strategize, be logical, you know, juggle seven things at one time, no problem. But the feminine self eeks right? I have to like accept people's acknowledgement. I have to be able to let myself be seen in this process. I have to just say thank you <laughs> when someone's like, well done. And you're like, thank you. When I really want to talk about you or I want to distract something about my own self. So here I am talking about this feminine and the masculine and how it is that we navigate that and how horses are so brilliant at that. Um, and I'm having to do my very own work yet again, which is ultimately always what we're doing. I have to like acknowledge the barriers and blocks when I feel them arise and be like, oh, I'm, I'm making room. I'm just, there's, I don't need to hustle for the healing. I just need to acknowledge that it's there um, and, and soften and allow it. So it's work for me to sit and be like, I'm on, on a spotlight and I'm going to talk about myself in this book and the work that I think is so important and I'm passionate about, um, but my own feminine wounds around being seen, taking up space, having my voice matter, feeling like a, a, a masterful or an expert in some way of it also creates this inner saboteur and my inner critic wants to show up and be like, who do you think you are? And this is just your first book and there's already two chapters you'd change, you know, like all that stuff comes up. And so I'm like, oh, right, of course, your little girl who feels like you have to earn it and be a boy or be more masculine in order to like have value and be seen is super activated right now. So that is my own process kind of around this piece is that, of course, whenever we show up in some new space, there's going to be work to do. Um, we don't get, a, get, a, get to get away with those kinds of big, bold 
you know, expansive moves without having some bumps along the road. And what am I going to do with that? Am I going to avoid it or distract? Or am I going to just be like, welcome in the healing? I'm just going to sit in it, breathe through, allow the energy to drop down, right? Energy kind of moving down creates the sense of manifestation. And then when I feel it rise up, um, am I going to allow it to, to, to move up and through me? Or what is my response there. Uh, am I blocking? Am I allowing? Right? Am I constricting? Am I expanding? And so really my work right now for my own self is to opt for, to pause. You know, I really, the work for me has to become more horse-like, um, which is drawing the time out to this four-beat gait, right? Horses' movement is essentially four beats, one foot, two foot, three foot, four. So drawing it out to four beats, rocking back within myself as they do, right? They like step back into themselves and pick up a hoof. They'll soften their gaze so they're not looking at any one thing, but they like have this soft 180 degree view and they just sort of like pause and notice. And so that's my visceral kind of practice whenever I sense this sense of like agitation or things want to kind of constrict. Um, the other piece that I'll sort of speak to you about that around the feminine is that Horses exist um, in the world in their feminine essence. They're much more yin than they are yang, right? They'll harness their yang, their masculine, to like chase up another horse, to get over a jump, to rope a cow, right? To get something done, they are in their masculine uh, energy, strategic, goal-oriented. When they are with each other and in their own essence, just how they are and how they roll, they're very much in their yin, right? They're curious. They're nurturing. They um, opt for compassion over um, competition. They're collaborative. They are... Um, they're much more, their preferred state is being rather than doing, stillness rather than activity. So sort of all of these innate characteristics and qualities that make up the feminine really is how they are all the time with themselves and with you and with each other. And so when you get to spend time in that environment, right, we become like the five people or energies we spend the most time with, that ultimately is rubs off on you and that vibration starts mm -hmm. to feel more like normal and welcome and you can adopt this pace of nature mm. right which is like slower and softer and um, inward before it goes outward and so that pace especially at this sort of time in our history when we're very cognitive right we're really moving quite fast we're making a lot of mental decisions but in doing that we become very disconnected with our emotions right with our heart with like the sort of vibration of what's happening uh, in our within. And so their invitation really uh, in the work that I see all, all the time is this um, ability to become more congruent, right? Does my outward expression really match and honor my inward experience? Because it's very easy to separate and dissociate and like hang out in the mind and make a decision when really there's all this um, information that we're getting from our body that we're so disconnected and disattuned from. Um, and so when you're with them, because they're big and powerful and strong and captivating, they literally like captivated. I don't know too many people who still are not like captivated by a swiftly moving horse across a paddock. Even if you don't love them, you're like, geez, that's powerful. There's something quite magnificent, right? Like earthly and then unearthly about them that captivates us. Uh, and so there still is quite a lot of you know, healing and knowing um, that can happen as that bridge between them and us becomes closer, right? Or facilitated with sort of care and compassion and curiosity. 
So once again, you said a lot of things I that I, that I, no, yeah. but I made me just want to talk about all of it. But, okay. um, firstly, I'm appreciating your vulnerability right now in saying how you just put this book out and what it's bringing up in you. It's one of my favorite things is when people can acknowledge and be with all of that. And then also, um, everything you described about being around a horse just sounded so yummy to me. I was like, oh yeah. I, I don't think there's anyone I know who couldn't use some time where you're getting essentially that resonance. I don't mm -hmm. know if that's the right word, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, feel, it feels to me like without, I, I don't have a lot of experience with it as you know, but, but it feels to me like a really good starting point for people to be supported in that. You talked about the pace of horses. When when I was with you last week, you mm -hmm. were talking about the, what was it? The their Not their heartbeat, but their, their the in horse time. It's in yeah, a, yeah. Pardon? It's the, the four-beat gait, right? Their movement of, right. of their step um, is four beats. Um, and then I think we also talked about, like, the coherence of their heart. Their heart, right? Oh, right. The heart coherence, which is quite a, like a whole field with heart math and heart math science yeah. and what that's I'm, like. You I'm know. familiar with heart math. Yeah. Uh, Myrna is a huge mm -hmm. heart math mm -hmm. lover. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it just feels like a place where a person could go to begin the process of being held in a field that shows you on that congruency, mind and body level, mm -hmm. or an invitation into that pacing. Mm -hmm. And I also shared with you that um, my teacher Myrna also told us that when babies are born, and I don't know for how long this goes on for, but their timing is slower. And I'd be curious to know how, how comparable it is to horse time. And any time we in our group work did an, an early developmental resolution piece where you were working through some very early material, we were told to be really cognizant of every movement being slow and the pacing being slow, partially just to allow integration of what's happening, like to pay attention to those little moments. You also used one of my teacher Myrna's favorite words and that is pause, like the moment of just pausing and noticing. And then when you describe the horse, um, you said the gaze softening and the, the stepping, you said a few things about what it, when it's in its yin kind of, mm -hmm. it's a horse's home within itself is in that yin. It reminded me a lot of how you, how, how you might describe some parasympathetic nervous system qualities. Mm -hmm. The softening of the gaze apparently in humans mm -hmm. too helps. Like if you think about it, if you're hyper-focused on something, focused in the mind, but also your eyes being squinty and mm -hmm. focused, that's more of a sympathetic, not necessarily fight-flight, but focused response and just a softening of the gaze and a deepening of the breath are ways to help regulate the nervous system. So I, as I said, because a lot of this information is new to me, I'm not as, I'm hearing you say things where I'm connecting it with mm -hmm. what I know to understand about healing in our nervous system. You also used a lot of words like Compassion, curious, collaborative, um, yeah, just a lot. Again, almost like words that I've been hearing recently in a therapeutic model, where in our true inner self, when we have access to that, the curiosity that you said the that the horses have, it's almost like the horses. They sound like they um, they embody an invitation to your true self mm -hmm. from from mm -hmm. one way I might look at it too. 
So also very cool. I know. Well, they just, you know, the thing about them is that they're authentic all the time, number one. They never are like, I think something or I feel something, but I'm going to demonstrate something different, like we will do, right? We'll be like, put on a happy face, put on a brave front, swallow it down. No, if they're mad or distressed or agitated or uncomfortable, you will know right away, which is so refreshing, right? You're like, just give me the straight goods. Just give it to me. We can handle it. And also, they invite us ultimately to be the same, similarly, because they're prey animals. They don't have room or time. It's unsafe for them to be in the energy of something so incongruent, right? Because they're like assessing, assessing threat and assessing danger. And so they're like, when you show up and you're like, I love horses, but everything's like tight and agitated. They're like, oh, that's unsafe. I'm going to turn <laughs> right. around and go. Um, rather than like, oh, I, horses make me nervous, but I'm, you know, and there's just something that happens when we're honest um, that our heart rate levels out, our pulse comes down, even if you're discussing something challenging. Um, it's more when we're um, incongruent and we're misaligned that our words don't honor uh, what's happening and what, is what we say in our body. And because they don't understand words, they'll be like, her heart rate's up, her, mu her, muscle, tension is her muscle tension is tight. They can tell when you're like sweating profusely, right? Like just even the tone of your muscles and they will opt to not engage. Uh, and then, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why that is, right? Whether or not it's us or it's them or something in the environment. And so it just provides really interesting feedback for us because sometimes, often we're just, we're really not aware, you know? And you can be sitting across from a really skilled therapist or psychotherapist and be getting into it, but, but they can only respond to you in language and certainly from your nonverbal communication, but they can't get to the deeper stuff, which is like... Um, giving you that instant feedback in the moment and then allowing an opportunity to do it differently in the moment, which ultimately is how trauma is healed, right? When you have totally. these experiences that directly contradict your earlier experiences yep. of disempowerment, well, you have an opportunity right now in the here and now to do it differently. So if you were going to do it differently, what would you say? How would you feel? How would you react to this situation? Let's try it. And so that succinct embodiment exercise provides a whole new baseline for people to start to breathe in and create this foundation, oh, well, this is what it actually feels like to be congruent and aligned, and then to take action or move forward or move away based on this particular place. Uh, and they'll be like, yep, you get it right, or nope, try again. And they're so generous because they're not like us, but we're like, I remember what you did last week, you jerk, you know, and you're like, I'm still resonating on that, you know, I'm still like percolating about how that made me feel. They'll be like, shake it off, mm -hmm. have a shit, pee, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Roll, yeah. release from their jaw. And then they'll be like, it's so gone. I'm back to grazing. It's not even thought about again. Mm -hmm. And so that generosity of spirit really allows for us to be supported in a way that humans simply cannot support us, no matter how skilled they are. I agree. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is incredible. Oh, what did you just say that I was like... Yeah, like the moment-to-moment -moment experiential piece that you just described. Like, that's it. I, I agree with you. So just for people listening, um, for those of you who like me, one of my weaknesses and strengths, both and, is my cognition and my in intellect. I love to understand all this stuff mm -hmm. so much. Um, and it gets in my way, for sure. And I love it at the same time. But for those people who want to know... Um, I recently heard that, yeah, like our, the part, our thinking brain is in one part of our brain, but where the trauma resides is in a different part of our brain. I think it's more that 
amygdala, brainstem, limbic system, deeper stuff. And it's coming out uh, in, in neurobiology and research that really you can talk about something all you want, but when you're talking about it through the figuring out brain, it's not, it is not actually accessing those deeper parts, and one of the only ways to do it is through experience, experience the experiential yeah. part. Mm -hmm. So the fact that working with horses brings that moment-to-moment -moment opportunity, and like you also just said, you used better words than I would right now, but in a way, there's no judgment, as you're saying. Like They're just like, that happened, did, did or didn't work, try again, mm -hmm. with zero judgment. And us humans don't get that opportunity with other humans. So when you said we kind of can't, human to human, we can do a lot for each other, but we can't offer that. Mm -hmm. Like, really? Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we just mm -hmm. can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So very cool. I had questions, and I haven't <laughs> even, like, asked a single one yet, but I'm going to, like, go through a few of these and see what pings as, like, where we want to go. Oh, yeah. Like, and so Tracy, I got to show you. I've got, I've got my questions that I went through here. And then I like wrote a bunch of stuff because I was so excited about your book. Like I wrote all these things that I wanted to talk about. Um, I don't even know. I don't even know how much we're going to get to here. So this is maybe where we should have started. But what inspired you to write this book? And, um, and as much as you're willing to share about your journey that led you to where you are today. Mm -hmm. And I know your book covers a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, I read that. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, maybe to start with, what was the inspiration? Yeah. I'm so glad you did. So, yeah. um, you know, 2020 was a hell of a year for a lot of us in many different ways. Um, and so as I entered the end of 2020, like fall, and I kind of wrap up my coaching and work with the horses sort of in the fall, I give some of them a break, pull their shoes, turn them out, let them have some downtime. Um, I, too, was taking some downtime. Um, and I really, I felt like I'd been wanting to write for a little while. My own inner critic was like, you know, just, you, what are you going to write? How much are you going to say? I, you know, how, where do you even start? Part of it was like, where do I even start? So I reached out and got some help, which has been such a blessing as a maturing woman where I don't always feel like I need to know how to do it all myself. Be like, I want to write a book. How the hell do I do that? So why don't you talk to somebody who like helps people write books? So I did. I took a few little free courses. I got going on an outline where I was like, what is? what are the themes? What are the messages? What do I feel like wants to be said and shared right now? So even beyond my mind, wrote like, what do I want to say? I'm like, what do people want to hear? Right? What feels like important messages? Or what is even this whole year? What are the themes and messages that have come from the horses for humans? And then what have humans really benefited the most from hearing from the horses? What are the most valuable experience that I've witnessed? Because 2020 was a busy, a busy year. People were locked down. They weren't allowed to do a lot of stuff, yet they could be outside with the horses, with space, in connection. And it was really satisfying for a lot of people. So I was very busy. Um, and then I was tired at the end of the year. I was like, oh, I'm exhausted. Um, I'm just going to drop in. And uh, I don't really consider myself a particularly like creative person. But I, you know, what I do is creative in the moment all the time. And I was sort of like, I'm going to you know, test my threshold to step outside my comfort zone and with my downtime, really have it be purposeful. Um, and also the other piece that sort of fueled that is both of my children are in their 20s and they're sort of at these places where they're like trying to try new things and step out and, you know, find their way in the world and be bold and take risks. And they too wrestle with this whole like, can I do it? Is Am I enough? You know, how does this whole piece go? And so 
in my own mothering journey, I'm like, we lead by example, Tracy. So you can't just talk about, oh, I'm one day going to do this when it's easy and the timing is right. I'm like, no, no, now is the time. Um, they, you know, inspire me to continue in my own mothering, to continue to grow and evolve and model for them what it's like to, you know, not do something perfectly, but at least follow through and have something be done and honor the path that you feel like you're on and the gifts that you have and share them as imperfectly as you do with the world, good enough sometimes. So that felt like an important stage of life to be like, that's helpful for them when they can see their mother taking bold, inspired action and like getting shit done. Um, that was meaningful for me at this particular stage. So I have a lovely friend up in Pemberton. I stayed in her house for like a week, 10 days, and I just got a lot of writing done. I like left, got a lot of the downloads in nature, kind of just quiet, eagles everywhere, fish and rivers and pastures and just wide open space. And so quite a lot sort of felt like it came in through that period of time. And then the rest of it was just sort of the writing and the editing and sort of the grindy stuff of, you know, self-doubt and carrying on anyways and getting people to edit and um, also, you know, realizing that there's things I would change now that I've had different experience of and it's just a first book. So you're like, we all got to start somewhere. Um, maybe there'll be something else at some other point in time. Um, but it felt sort of inspired out of both the stage of my own my own mothering as well as um, sort of the, the vibrations of what came from kind of 2020 and some of those themes and messages that felt, you know, that, that they were relevant for, for people, certainly for myself on my own experiences and then themes that kind of clients came up with and how they're really the horses sort of showed up for humans in that way. Totally. Um, because I'm so passionate about what you do, the horse element is new to mm -hmm. me, but mm -hmm. everything else sounds... There's a lot of crossover. I loved what you wrote I, because it's a lot of... Uh, well, I wrote a draft of a book a couple of years ago and never followed through. Mm -hmm. And you inspired me to, I think, in the last month or two, I was digging out all of that that I wrote and looking at it. And uh, all the inner critic self-doubt stuff came up for me and probably is what curbed it. And I guess... Uh, I guess when I read yours, I was like, being that I saw it finished, I was like, well, that didn't look so gnarly or hard. And, and uh, I don't know how long it is because I had it in a digital form. Like, I don't know what the book would look like um, in its physical form. Oh, you've got one. I do. I have one. It's 130 <sighs> pages. It's 130 pages. Oh, see? Yeah. And I know, right? You're like, I could do that. Well, that's it. Like, yeah. I, I, I think of all my books that are these chunky, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and when I saw... When I saw it in digital form, I'm like, oh, it's not like honkin'. And mm -hmm. I was like, why did mm -hmm. I feel like it needed to look or be a certain mm -hmm. way for it to be good? Because in the pages that are there mm -hmm. is so much impactful, supportive information. Like, mm -hmm. anyway, so that was a that was inspirational for Great. me. Great, yeah, good. I that the other piece of it too was that I'm like. You know, if I can write a book, yeah. there's lots of people who can write a book. Part of it is just being like, I'm going to start something and I'm going to finish it, you know, and I'm going to just like, you know, especially the end stages, I'm like, I'm just going to bless it and then let it be in the world right. and have it do its own thing Off and not have an attachment to like, does someone love it or they don't love it or they mm -hmm. got that part, they didn't get that part. I'm like, it's, it's all fine. Um, so yeah, that's my own personal work along the way where you're yeah. like, 
um, going to be uncomfortable and continue to choose to step forward. Well, I'm inspired by your courage, tenacity, vulnerability, you know, all of that, because that's all a part of what, you, what you've created. And I'm curious, um, this topic of the lens that you wrote it through, like mm -hmm. your experience working with clients in that coaching capacity with your knowledge of horses, is there much on the market like this, or do you know? Is that even something you bothered to look yeah, into? There, so there's a handful. I read all the horse stuff, right? So there's a handful of people who do like life coaching with horses, you know? Okay. And they have sort of a process, like a mind, body, spirit type process that they either work with or they teach or they support people with. I would say there's probably more in the States. I would say, I know mm -hmm. three or four sort of professionals who um, kind of do this for a living. In the States, they have quite a lot more funding for PTSD and veterans in particular, eating disorders, kids on the autism spectrum like those pockets of individuals where there's funding that way through their medical system. Um, it's an option for treatment, whereas in Canada, it's not, right? There's some funding through the uh, autism spectrum uh, department, right, of MCFD. They can get some funding, but everywhere else is pretty privatized. And so we're just in a changing time as well with our relationship with horses, right? I started out with horses. I was married to a cowboy. We broke horses. We sold horses for meat. We shot horses. Like, we, we lived in a hard and fast, gritty and dirty time 25 years ago where it's like you were cowboying up. If you put that horse away bloody on its, on its belly from spurring it to death, it's like it probably earned it, you know? And so that was the mentality then. It was like, cowboy up, swallow it down, survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you needed to essentially break a horse's spirit in order to be able to be dominant over them. And we have a much different language around it now. Thank God. I feel like I'm paying penance. Right. Um, where it's like, we can get way further when we have power with a horse. Uh, or power among. Well, right? does that not speak to feminine versus Absolutely. the patriarchal totally. a little bit? Yeah, totally. Right. What is it like to actually join and partner with and collaborate that with the collaboration horse? Collaboration piece. Yeah, yeah, you get a much more willing partner who will show up for you wholehearted, yeah. not resentful, yeah. um, and work with you throughout the duration of both of your relationships. Yeah. And so that transformation is fascinating to me because I feel like I've seen it in my 23 to 25 years of doing this, where it was like, whoa, went into the spectrum, and now we're like right at the other. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe not, but we're like well on our way, right? Mm -hmm. That pendulum is definitely swinging, and we're like, of course, there's big value there. Uh, and of course, how we do one thing is how we do many things. It shows up in how we parent. It shows up in how we're leading in our organizations, right? It shows up in how we manage our families collaboratively. Um, it shows up in our, you know, religious institutions. So it's the ripple effect, uh, which I think is pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. That is so interesting. To me, it feels a little hopeful mm -hmm. to hear mm -hmm. that shift from what you described 20 to 25 years ago to now. There's hope yeah, in that. Yeah, I agree. I wonder if you'd be willing to share what some of the trainings you might have had. So you're a mm -hmm. coach, is that correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then your experience with horses is just your experience of working with horses. But have you had, yeah, what kind of trainings have you had? Yeah, or? so 
in the horse field, so my, my horse experience started out while well, I was a horse crazy girl, um, but my dad was a teacher and my mom uh, stayed at home with us. We had like one income, three kids living, living here in the Sunshine Coast. I was born and raised here. So we didn't have money for like riding lessons or, and that certainly wasn't a big thing here at the time, but I was like a fence adorer, just like hang off the fence and be friends with anybody who had horses. Um, my grandparents had a farm up in, um, you know, like Rock Creek, sort of that area in the Okanagan. And so certainly whenever we would go up there, I'd be like all about the pigs and the goats. I, I felt always deep roots when it came to like the agricultural way of life. I was like, oh, this is home for me. Um, and then I married a cowboy when I was quite young, 20, early 20s. Uh, and that was an interesting experience for sure. But you know, we had 150 horses and a big breeding program, like six stallions, 25 mares. We were breeding 10 foals a year. It was a cattle ranch associated with it. So we were like breeding and training and selling and showing a little bit. So like that was my massive education. We were like thrown into it. Horses were dying. Horses were being born. Horses were injured. Horses were, you know, you're just dealing with all this vet care, um, stable management, land management, haying. Uh, so that was a wild, intense ride of just like, yo, thrown into it, super educated, needing to like not only care for all these animals, but then like make a go of it, right? Support yourself in this agricultural lifestyle. So during that time, certainly I did lots of clinics, right, with different kinds of trainers, right, reining trainers, um, natural horsemanship trainers, barrel racing trainers, right, like the competitive piece, right, so getting like skilled up, colt starters, so all the time we were like, had clinicians over, going to clinics, workshops, things like that, so probably the first 10 years would have been quite a lot of intense, just like learning from professional, like learning from horsemen and horsewomen, and then, um, so at the time I was working in youth probation, I'd had an associate's degree in child and youth care counseling. So I was working um, with MCFD, uh, supporting foster families, supporting kids sort of transitioning in and out of care, working with kids on probation, sort of always have had a heart for challenging youth who never quite fit the box and needed just extra support. It was just sort of always part of my passion. Um, or kids who were like not really atypical learners and needed just a little bit of extra support. So then when we moved back to the coast, um, I ended up divorcing my husband and sort of needing to be here to get the support of my family and friends during that was really quite a long, painful, arduous process mm -hmm. of separation. Mm -hmm. um, so the coast really held me and my kids during that time, which I'm still eternally so grateful for. Uh, and then I went back to school. So then I went back and got my bachelor's of child and youth care counseling. Um, and I took a job in alternative education with School District 46, working in the alt schools as a child and youth care counselor. So really doing a lot of like wraparound work of how do we support kids in the yeah. classroom and their families yeah. and trying in the professionals. So I loved it. That was great. Um, I also ran a therapeutic riding program at the time. So I would have a lot of referrals from kids on the spectrum, um, kids with some social emotional challenges, kids with mental health issues, uh, families with, you know, sort of those kinds of barriers and just sort of needing some resources to help them through what was happening for them and really help, uh, you know, having the kids be experiential, hands-on learning outdoors was of major benefit. Uh, so I did that, therapeutic riding, for a number of years and had my therapeutic riding certification. 
Um, did my equestrian coaching certification, sort of beginner English and Western. Definitely Western is kind of more how I roll. And then I evolved and did my equine vaulting um, certification, which is sort of more like acro slash yoga on a horseback and kind of that whole piece right around the movement part of it. Um, and then I did a bunch of work in family constellations. I didn't actually get my certification, but I did quite a lot of work in family constellation yeah. stuff. And then I did a yoga teacher training and then a restorative yoga teacher training. So that's kind of where it's sort of hung out, um, is sort of this fusion of horses and coaching, um, horsemanship, like land management fused with childhood and adolescent development, um, education, um, and then into sort of like the restorative practices around how do we sort of fuse healing into all of these things. So it's a bit of a mishmash of <laughs> horse and human endeavors. Uh, and, you know, I really love learning, so I'm not definitely not done yet. I'm like down with the somatics is probably my most recent one. I'm just doing a finishing somatic a training experiencing? right now with somatic experiencing. Oh, no yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So because that's a big one, certainly with the, the, the horses. Right. How is it that? their presence, what do you notice in your body in their presence yeah. and how do we give language to that and how do we honor it and then begin to shift it. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow, Tracy. So that was a long answer I to all the trainings you've answer. done. And um, not to make it about me, but yeah, I have, a, I have enough certificates that could also cover a wall. And so I share with you that love for learning. Mm -hmm. um, and I... I um, I do think it's really unique that you have that blend. Mm -hmm. I know equine therapy is a thing, which mm -hmm. I know very little about. Uh, but hearing your background of your knowledge of the horses and all that, that you bring to the level, not just probably, you, you don't know just about equine therapy, it sounds like, because of the history of being working um, as a cowgirl. Mm -hmm. And all the things you learned about horses that weren't even from a healing perspective, perspective at some point, um, that brings in a uniqueness. And then, uh, I, yeah, I didn't know I didn't know what your background was in terms of like either counseling or that realm or what what brought this all together. But what a unique, amazing combination to be poised perfectly. No such thing as perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah to be working this way? And why wouldn't you write a book about it with all this experience, if, if you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. And you touched on um, the horses stuff, as I've said, is stuff that I don't know as much about, but um, most of the other stuff I do and I'm passionate mm -hmm. about, the family constellation, somatic experiencing, all that stuff, yeah, yeah. which I have found super powerful. Mm -hmm. So valuable, hey? Pieces, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Very cool. You've been you've been touching on talking about working with clients, and just before we recorded, you were saying that you're, if I'm if I'm correct, working with one on one with people is can be really satisfying because of the um, the depth you can go. And I heard you just say also you used to work with even families or people on the spectrum, which is not gender specific. But mm -hmm. you, your book is written about women who walk with horses, and it and you mentioned earlier the horses seem to their default is that yin, which is considered a bit more of a feminine energy or vibe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But who do you find, who's, who are you working with right now the most? Yeah. And um, what are those clients, what are you noticing they're experiencing? Yeah. yeah, it's been so interesting over the years how it's really shifted from like a lot of kids to then more like adolescents 
to then young adult, young women adults, to then couples, and then sometimes families, and then sort of now I'm at the stage where I'm like, oh, I'm probably working with, I would say, mostly women, um, kind of in their later 20s to like 55, really, or 60. And if I think about like what are some of the common themes and threads, it's like all women who are in some kind of transitional period of time in their life where something's ending and maybe something else is beginning or there's um, a shift or a change that they're wanting to make uh, and they don't quite exactly know what it is but they feel that it's sort of something. Um, also lots of women who maybe are a bit scared of like getting into it in a therapy session, but they're much more willing to partner with the horses and the horses can fill in a lot of the gaps and give them permission and create this sort of safety mm -hmm. around totally. yeah. getting into stuff that maybe they hadn't ever anticipated getting into in that kind of a, a session. Mm -hmm. um, also people who uh, tend to gravitate more towards like physicality and movement so that it's less around... Um, like sitting and necessarily talking, but there are opportunities to touch and connect, um, integrate the senses, right? Like the smell and the olfactory and the sounds and how like that, that all of that stimulation, lots of people just have a natural graduation to, um, to that part of their person. Um, I think also, I would say when people are seeking a sense of clarity, Definitely, when people are like, oh, I have a decision to make, I'm unclear, I'm, I'm beginning or beginning a new working relationship, I'm ending a partnership, I'm in, I'm in this pattern where I'm attracting the same kind of guy over and over again, I'm having this dynamic in my family where this happened with my mother, this is happening with me, I see it in my daughter, I want to shake it up, um, some family conflict where it's like we're just doing the same thing the same way and getting the same results, and it's insanity, literally, so we won't need to do some things differently. Um, my kids probably aren't so much willing to come with me, but then you bring horses into the equation and it just kind of changes the dynamic around it. Often women who also have just recently divorced or experienced some kind of loss or trauma and they're like, I need something fun for me in my life and something that feels like relational and purposeful and meaningful. And I like, it's just for me, you know? And there's lots of women who were like, oh, I loved horses as a girl or I used to ride as a girl. And I, what happened, right? I left it behind. I've like lost this sort of spark and piece of joy that I have associated with you know, so for some of them, it has to do with horses or this magnificence that they never really pursued that, you know, life gets in the way and you have kids or you're working a lot and you sort of don't give yourself permission to play and explore and give yourself the time to fill your life also with the things that feel like they inspire you or create some sense of like, ooh, ah, for you. So I have a few sort of older women who are like, I don't want to compete, right? But I want to like have a good experience and I want someone to take really good care of me and I want to be on a horse that's not a dink. You know, like I'm not, we don't have any jerk. Well, we do have some jerks, but they're not the ones we work with. You know, they're like, I don't want to ride a jerk. And I'm like, who does? Yeah. Uh, and I want to start out slow, and I just really want to be nurtured along the way. And so I have, you know, kind of a handful of those sort of gals who are not looking to necessarily get anywhere. They just really want 
this weekly experience for themselves. And it's lovely. It's always so fascinating when I see people sort of like over the month or over a season, the transition that they make from being like, it's really scary for me, like, hey, catch the horse and come with me and all the support to being like, I'll get him, I'll tie him up and off they go. Like the growth that you see in yourself is so empowering mm -hmm. uh, and the horses believe it, right? In the beginning, there's like quite a lot of like convincing, I can do it. I, I, we're going to go over here. Yes, we are. Um, to like, we're going over here. And the horse is like, I know we are. Off mm -hmm. we go. And so it's such a beautiful thing to witness, right? When you get to sort of like see those kinds of transformations um, occur before your eyes. But then also when you see people just sort of like rolling with things in a bit of a different way, when they speak about it in a different way and they hold themselves in a different way and they'll communicate in a different way than they did maybe three months ago. And so uh, personally, I'm like, oh, I just find it always so empowering to mm -hmm. get to be a part of that, let alone to hold some space for that. It makes me, yeah, feel blessed to be able to do that for, for, with folks. Yeah, I, I feel like there's such a satisfaction in, how do I word this? Like, I work with people too, mm -hmm. and my desire for them is to feel more empowered. Mm -hmm. I guess my experience in life has been the more I've been able to feel my body, which is me, so feel, feel myself, mm -hmm. be myself, in brackets, work in progress, but the more I've had that, the happier, the um, more confident, like there's just been so many benefits, and of course, it is such a satisfying thing to witness another human being, male or female, come into themselves and have themselves mm -hmm. and yeah it's so I can I can appreciate and it's like kind of cool for you to if you if it's over a three-month period or you like you said over a season to wit that's a pretty fast transition so that's a great thing to mm -hmm. get to witness and when at the beginning of that the answer to your question you said something about people who might come to you there is some components of accessibility, like you said, maybe someone doesn't want to go to a traditional therapist because it might feel too overwhelming or daunting. And I feel like it's true for a lot of people who aren't in our world of loving this kind of work. The interesting thing is, is that people who have histories or stuff in the shadow or whatever you want to call it, that for some reason a part of them feels really afraid of, mm -hmm. and un understandably, I understand why they might feel afraid of that, yeah, they're, they're less likely to walk themselves into a therapist's office because their fear of what they're going to see is overwhelming. And it feels a little wonderful sneaky that that same person might be like, yeah, I'd go hang out with a horse. Mm -hmm. And because they don't feel like they're going to need to face themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and in a way, because you said it's, the horses offer such a moment-to-moment, -moment, just try again with non-judgment, it isn't maybe even the same way that, that a therapist might do it. There, there, it sounds like the, it offers a little bit more grace mm -hmm. and um, being with moment to moment and maybe less analyzing because you're being invited into your body more. So that does feel like an accessibility. And also um, kids or families who, yeah, they just get to go hang out with a horse and then it creates space for other stuff to emerge. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I was appreciating how, yeah there's an access there that maybe you wouldn't get in a more traditional or how our culture has framed therapy. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of kick-ass, amazing therapists out there, but it doesn't change the fact if you're someone who feels a little tentative or afraid that you might not bring some of those same fears into working with a horse. 
Mm-hmm. And then some people might, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it definitely um, the barriers piece, right? It sometimes can provide, nature in and of itself can kind of provide a window, right. whether or not it's like, there's lots of sort of nature-based therapies that are kind of evolving at this at this age and stage of our humanity um, that kind of brings us back to, you know, like just how it is that we can ground and get a bit calm. Because as you said earlier around our nervous system, we're just so agitated and we're so fight and flighty. And so just the ability to sort of drop in oftentimes we already have so many of the answers, right? We already know most of the time. There's just sort of this container and energy and sometimes facilitation that just helps us in this rediscovering. Um, So it's fascinating to me what happens when we just give ourselves permission to like adopt the pace of nature and get a bit slow um, and, and actually occupy our bodies in a place where we can be a bit still what knowing comes from the stillness. Mm-hmm. Always there's some knowing that comes from the stillness. Very rarely does knowing come from the doing, right? It comes from the stillness. So uh, I just need to pause you there, and I would like you to say that again. Mm-hmm. So the knowing comes from the stillness. Mm-hmm. Very rarely does it come from the doing. From the doing, yeah. I just hope people heard her say that. Yeah, that actually is my favorite Bible verse, um, is like, be still and know. It's actually like, be still and know that, uh, you know, I am God. And I'm like, for me, much of my life was like, Tracy, just be still and know that you are not God. You don't need to know all this stuff. You don't need to solve it all. You don't need to figure it all out. You just need to be still and then you will know. Um, because my, growing up, my name was like Racy Tracy, because I was like so fast. I was like, I can get stuff done. In the classroom, they'd be like, Tracy, you don't need to be the first one done the test. If you just took your time, you'd probably get 90%, but you got 65% because Mm -hmm. you raced through this test and you reread half the questions wrong. And I was like, ah, my parents, even their consistent message was like, Trace, you don't need to go so quick. Even now, I'm like, I will like snap to it, get shit done, go for it, just like get her done. And I'm like, the lesson of my life. I'm like, no wonder why I spend so much time with horses is to like slow down. Um, So, you know, the pain was certainly associated to the doing and the racing and the going. And the purpose from the pain has certainly been associated with the being still and then knowing, you know, and then trusting the knowing. And then from the knowing, often there is a doing. But if I'm, if I'm never still, then I never know. Right. I just do. Right. And so that sort of is this and really... And then what is it that you're doing? I don't know what I I'm doing. I don't know. I have no yeah. idea. I'm just like doing, which ultimately is kind of strange trauma response where you're just like, yeah. you know? Well, I'm glad you said strange trauma response because what I was going to share is I have a history of um, being hypervigilant as a kid, meaning just kind of on high alert, and then also having anxiety, I think, throughout my 20s that went, um, I don't want to say undiagnosed, just unnoticed. I don't, yeah. know if, I don't know if it needed a diagnosis, but I didn't know I was mm-hmm. living. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I'm not trying to say I'm the same as you, but I recognize what you're mm-hmm. saying. I used to talk really fast, mm-hmm. be really fast, a part of me is very proud of my efficiency, or mm-hmm. I could be efficient. And um, part of me resolving some trauma for me was getting more comfortable with going slower. Oh, so my point is, is that even just around my house or doing the things that I do, it does not take much because of my my long-standing history of working at a certain pace to survive, it takes very little for me to find myself flying right back into anxiety zone or whatever you want to call it. 
And I do have to make a conscious awareness and a conscious choice within myself to be, to tell myself, whoa, you've sped up again. And it's a comfortable place for me because it's what I'm familiar with. So um, it's interesting. I'm sharing this because you said a similar thing and I'm sharing it because I know that a huge percentage of people listening to this right now are going through, well, either they're not aware of it yet or are aware of it. Because I work with clients too where I talk to them a lot about, they talk to me about their to-do lists all the time and trying to get out of that go, 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 go. And uh, I say to them, I don't know what the answer is because I know how hard it is because I have a tendency to fly right into that zone, no problem. And it feels like putting the brakes on feels so hard once Mm -hmm. you're there because you're like, Mm -hmm. but I'm getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... I think it's a big thing for a lot of people. So I think it's a big thing for a lot of women. Women, right? Okay. I do think it's a big thing for a lot of women. I'll see a man be able to leisurely slow down, and I'm like, who does he think he is? How, how can he give himself permission to just like lay on the couch and do nothing for 20 minutes? Isn't he like racked with guilt and stuff? And does he know I'm over here judging him? Yeah, totally. <laughs> right? I love and I'm everything like, you just said. Yeah, yeah, I see some woman, and she's like leisurely doing her thing, and I'm like, what? How can that even be the case? So, yeah, it was certainly my evolving work of healing my own feminine is to not have to hustle for my worthiness, mm, right? To not have to strive yeah. so gosh darn hard all the time, yeah. you know? And also, as a mother, to not pass on those unconscious Hallelujah. patterns to, to my children. children. I don't want my daughter to have to be like, oh, you have to be busy all the time in yeah. order to feel successful invaluable in the world, no. right? And so I'm like, Tracy, you can't be that incongruent, right? That's one of the lovely things But the horses were like, you can't be that incongruent and mm-hmm. still, you know, be your authentic self all the time. You can't say one thing and then do something different in, right. in these other areas. Like, you can't no. tell your daughter, I think you should slow down. And yeah, take your time. Yeah, Trust your gut. You, you don't need to rush. Yeah, and something will work out. And then you're like secretly behind the scenes emailing everybody, you know, trying yeah. to like solve all the problems and sort it out. Uh, so yeah. I so am guilty of that, but mm-hmm. I feel like probably the blessing for me to be able to spend so much time with the horses and other humans mm-hmm. is that you know, we do what we need to learn. We teach what it is that totally. we need to be most taught. And so I'm like always still learning that. So when I have such compassion, when I see people like starting, starting to spin, right? And everything's picking up and the horses are brilliant at it because I taught some the other day and she was like starting to like, her voice was getting high and her hand was getting high and everything was getting fast. And her horse was like, ah! her feet were leaving the ground. And I was like, this is a mirror, right? So how even in this moment do we be like, pause, Mm-hmm. slower down, right? Like get heavy in your feet, soft in your joints, just bring everything down, right? Like, whoa, literally. Like you'd say, like, horse. Whoa. whoa. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, <laughs> sounds simple, yet profound. Sounds uh, simple, yeah. But yeah, it's the work probably for many of us for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. I'm sure it is mm-hmm. for me. I'm mm-hmm. sure it is for me. Yeah, it is for me too. Yeah. And I think that's why when you said, um, the be still and know. I've forgotten the sentence already. When I wanted you to repeat that, mm-hmm. that was because I was like, Kendra, listen to this, because it's the work for me too. And as yeah. I said, given my my history, whether it's related to family of origin, related to culture, well, we're talking about when you said your observation is that you see this in women a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not simply how I was raised. It mm-hmm. is also. Um, the, the paradigm huge, of the time, yeah, for sure. It's the paradigm yeah. of the time, yeah. Okay. But it also feels like a paradigm that is shape-shifting. Shape it's changing. 
Yeah, there's well, healing I'm, that's happening there. I'm happy to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? More, please. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take a second dose of that. It's been about an hour. Um, I'm happy to go a little longer if you are. Yeah, like. I've got time. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I, I wanted to cover this, mm-hmm. this question here. Um, and then after that, I might just say some things that, that I think I was excited about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's just so much. Oh, my God. But as I alluded to earlier... I said to you, I've, I've listened to a few podcasts recently that made me aware of my own relationship to feminine embodiment. Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of scouring the internet trying to understand, which you're, you might have a little laugh at because, again, that's all cognitively, trying to understand what the women who are sharing, what I feel like is some pretty profound information. I've heard a few interviews now, and the people who are in these interviews are all, they sound like they're in their early to mid-30s. And I feel like they're bringing a consciousness to feminine embodiment or the feminine that that I'm super excited about Mm -hmm. and curious about. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to understand it. And actually, I've been playing with some of what I've been hearing. Um, One of the women talks about feminine flow, and I think flow is a word that you've been... I heard through a mutual friend about Mm -hmm. how you were like, fuck balance. It's all about flow. (laughs) So basically, um, I've been hearing this thing about this feminine flow thing. And what I've learned so far is it is actually you you go on all fours, put some music on and allow your body to just nonlinear move. You Mm -hmm. can dance around. Mm -hmm. I've been doing that almost every day for a week or so Mm because it's new information for me. And I wanted to like, I don't even know what is supposed to happen. I'm just like, what is supposed to happen? Um, and I'm trying to und- and I'm trying to pay attention mm-hmm. to my while I'm moving around. Today I went for a little run. I was like, what would it be like to move my body and continue to pay attention to it while I'm running and not just zone out or mm-hmm. whatever? Mm-hmm. It's okay to do that sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I've been kind of doing this flow movement thing, if I'm even doing it right, and who cares? Um, I've been like paying attention to my pelvis and my hips and trying to pay attention to my body. I'm sharing all this because I'm like, I feel like you may have some insight. I don't know. We'll see. But what I wrote here is uh, the question that's arisen for me lately is where does our femininity reside? Is it in our soul? As if you're born, uh, probably not, because um, there's people can be identify as certain genders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, but is, maybe is it, but is it partly in there? I don't know if you can answer that question. Or is it, um, do you think it's in our body? I don't know. This question feels like, yeah. Or is it both? Hmm. So good. <laughs> because I'm I'm super curious now. And then yeah. you, it was interesting timing. I listened to a few interviews, got super curious. Then I read your book, and I was like, oh my god, she's like looking at healing through the lens with horses, but also women and femininity. So anyway, I'll I'll stop now and let you just go with wherever. Okay, well, I am curious about those podcasts that you're listening to because I, too, agree. There's been some young women in my mental mind where I was like, what do they know? They're only 32. But then I've listened to them, and I'm like, damn, these 32-year-olds have it going on, yeah. right? They're so much more evolved. Yes, uh, they've done a lot it, of work already. That's, I know the, the people I'm listening to yeah. were referencing um, Bessel van, van der Kolk's yeah, book, Peter yeah. Levine's book. Totally, um, yeah. And, well, just they've been doing stuff, and I'm like, what are they up to? And then they're bringing this... Anyway, go, level go of ahead. consciousness that's yeah. like pretty dialed in. Okay, yeah. that's rad. Um, all right, so what I would say about the flow piece that that I feel like I can speak to is particularly when it comes to riding, like the actual physical act of riding. Because let me tell you, 
There are lots of stuff that happens there for women, whether or not it's bareback or in a saddle. There is this sense of unity. There is this, like, from a physiological perspective, you're really open, right? Like, you're your hip flexors are open, your um, pelvic floor is really like down and open, everything's activated. So from the, the bottom three chakras, from the root to the sacral to the solar plexus are like lit up. Um, there's just so much openness and then there's a lot of activity. So often what happens in the body is we'll become open and then we're trying to create activity ourselves, rather than we get open and then we're actually now connected to a flow that's beyond us and we're learning how to integrate it and move with it. We're not controlling it, although sometimes we are, right? Mm -hmm. We want to speed it up to a trot or a canter or we want to slow it down to, to a walk or a halt. And so there's this really powerful experience that happens, I think, transcends the mind that lives like deep within our energetic core, whether or not that's the bottom three or, or what, I don't know, either. Um, but we become really in tune with our own power. How do I like take this energy, make it into myself? It's almost slightly lovemaking like. Like there is this sort of like orgasmic relationship with mm -hmm. it where you're like, damn, you're really open, you're super tuned in. The more rigid and the more controlling you try to get, or the more you try to think about it, the stiffer your body becomes and the more bouncy you get. Whereas the softer your body becomes, when you can really just be like, this is the movement like a wave, and I'm just going to ride this movement out, and I'm going to drop everything into it, and then find a sense of balance here, and then I'm going to let it influence me, and then I'm going to influence it. So it becomes this really dynamic process of like, we're walking this four-beat gait. What does that feel like? What does that feel like on each horse? What do I notice happening in my body, in my pelvis? To starting to speed that up to a trot, where do I get that energy from? How am I moving from basically my low core, right, the center of my person, um, bringing that energy down and through. It's a cyclical nature. It goes around the horse from their back, over their head, and around. So you're basically enveloped in this energetic circle moving forward. How do I harness that energy, keep it within my body, communicate it back to the horse, and then move together? And you know when you're out of sync, right? If you're, I, It happens to me all the time. I'll start to think about something, and I'm like, oh, I'm bopping around, and my horse will cut in, or she'll slow down, and I'm like, damn, she's so honest. I'm like, I left the building. Or I'll, I'll be riding around, and I'm like, I'm going to stop at center. And the minute I have that thought, she stops right away. I'm like, dang, I just kind of like left the present moment, and I disrupted this flow. So... You know, the actual art of riding, which is a process that takes people forever, their whole entire life. Nobody's ever like, I'm an amazing rider. They're like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the faster you get, the, the messier it gets for you often, right? right. And it's kind of like a bag of puppies bouncing around up there. But the more you can <laughs> transcend your mind and be like, woof, I'm like really got a lot going on in my core, right? This, this connection, mm -hmm. this sense of acceptance, mm -hmm. this familiarity, this relationship with my own power, right? Um, once that feels like it be, starts to become um, um, a felt sense that you know how to access and tap into and then you know how to increase it, decrease it, navigate it and you have this loving relationship with it, it's quite beautiful, you know, the ripple effects of that sort of sense of flow uh, in your life. I see people do that with waves, really, like surfing. And I'm like, mm. how are they doing? They're like, just riding the wave, man. And you're like, but how do you do it? And you're like, it's not a science, man. It's an art, you know? And you're like, <laughs> oh, of course, the art of horsemanship. Of course, you get it. Right. Some rides are rough, you know? And some rides were like, oh, they felt like butter. Like, we just felt like one. Mm. Um, often when people are riding and teaching riding and sort of the art of riding, there's definite words that are used around like rhythm and certainly balance is one of them. However, I do talk about balance being a bit bullshit, but there is a sense of like, 
are you in sync, right? Are you working together? Or is this unity? Do you feel this sense of oneness where there's no separation between you and your horse in movement? And how are, what are you then doing with it? Are you making beautiful movement, changing of directions and patterns where you'll watch somebody who's a beautiful rider and you're like, they just make it look so effortless. You know what I mean? They've swung direction or they've slowed down and they've sped up and you see nothing. Um, and it's really because there's this sense of um, deep, connection in flow and rhythm that has become so instinct and innate in the rider that the horse and rider really work kind of as one. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I've interpreted in my own life um, the sense of flow and how that's affected me in like my sexuality as a female and a woman and a heterosexual female, how I've navigated and overcome like shame and transcended mm -hmm. some of my limitations around sex and sexuality to really feel this sense of my honoring my own feminine embodiment with grace and appreciation rather than, you know, some of the external forces that might, you know, sh offer different ideas around that. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's kind of where it's lived for me, right? And so often when I connect with people and they vibe with that, they're like, oh, there's a similar like-mindedness where they're like, sure, there's a lot of healing there that's happened first for me on a physical um, place, and then it's transcended to emotionally, and then mentally, and then certainly spiritually. So wherever it starts for people, maybe it starts in the mind and it shifts downward. Maybe it starts in the emotions and it shifts outward, right? Maybe it begins in the low, low body, right? Sort of the pelvic area and the womb area, and then it sort of like emits up and out. Mm -hmm. I think it's different for everyone, but that's, that's kind of what that journey looked like for me. And certainly other people that I've worked with, I've seen that connection to their femininity arise by this ability to own it, harness it, yeah, and yeah. then work with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when you talk about those, uh, bottom three chakras mm -hmm. as you if being that you're familiar with them obviously they're also associated with the physical body um and when we worked together last week you you used some language that was interesting where you said when you're sitting on the horse there's a live an alive being holding you up or beneath you and even just that in itself i can imagine some people who have like major control issues let's say um, letting something else hold them mm -hmm. up and take the lead could bring stuff up. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to like paraphrase and hear everything you said. And then so, um, as you said, as you sit on a horse, your hips are open, you're allowing another being to be a part of the process mm -hmm. and how you're in relationship with that. And it made me think of attachment and relational mm -hmm. uh, issues where um, if someone earlier in their life whether it's cultural or family, we're set up to have less trust in others mm -hmm. or are afraid of being in healthy relationship with others, consciously or not. That would be huge mm -hmm. to sit on a live being mm -hmm. that's also providing all the things you said before about the congruency mm -hmm. and the um, heart field and all that. And then that allowing, that sounds like more like the feminine embodiment part to me sounds like being a woman on on a horseback means if you get into that flow that you were talking about, there's an allowing, there's a receiving, there's a reciprocal trusting relationship. All those things have to happen. So you're working on, in my mind, attachment, 
issues with a horse, which seems crazy, but it's it's true. Mm-hmm. You're working on your physical body, especially the the bottom three chakras represent the whole body, but within those are the first chakra is safety and survival. Mm-hmm. Second one, as you know, has got there's much more to them, but the some of our sexual sexuality, you know, so I could see how powerful all of that would be. And I also love the fact that maybe a lot of it could happen without words. Totally, it can happen yeah, without words. Yeah, it's just, yeah, and that's the certainly. point. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. But but I'll also share with you that um, now that I've been listening to this other information about embodiment, uh, as I was running today, not only was I deciding to pay attention to my body more, mm-hmm. but I said to myself, like, allow, I'm going to allow my hips to even move just a little more while I run. Mm-hmm. And I've realized probably a cultural thing. I've held a lot of shame. You, you, yeah. you alluded to that too, but I've been holding mm-hmm. a lot of shame around a lot of that stuff. In fact, I'll just say it, and I hate saying this, but if I see a woman moving her hips more, I've had judgment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's frightened me mm-hmm. in the past. Mm-hmm. And now I'm confronted with realizing how sad and shitty that is, mm-hmm. because that means, my judgment means that I've also been restricting that within myself. Mm-hmm. So I am just currently exploring my relationship to shame and maybe inhabiting that part of my body mm-hmm. which is the part of body, part of the body that you kind of mentioned yeah as you're talking about a person being on a horse i don't know if this is true you would know better than i would but how that part of our body how our pelvis and lower lower torso is relating to the movement probably translates out to everything it does yeah yeah, yeah so I think it does. and i think it really like what, what I've noticed is that it's like a ripple effect, right? It starts something, there's this yeah. opening and this vulnerability, yeah. and then there's some movement and then people go or they leave and there's like lots of stuff that starts to just sort of come up or out or, or start to flow or shift, whether or not they're like judgments or tension or pictures or images or emotions that just get a bit rocked or released through that opening and then through that support and then through that warmth, you know, and then through that Mm -hmm. movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And it often transcends the mind. Sometimes starting to talk about it actually limits the possibility and potential to just have it be your experience. Um, But certainly I've had a few gals who've got up in there and they're just like, they're up and on and there's tears, just just tears. And they're like, I don't even know why I'm crying. I'm not scared, I'm not sad. But But there's something about like, being held, you know, by something's bigger than you, um, especially as like a woman and a mom is doing a lot or you're doing it on your own and you get up onto this live being and you're like, oh my God, I don't even know what it's felt like in my yeah. physical body yes. to be like so supported. And so that sense wow. of, yeah. you know, burden kind of being lifted or just that level of feeling supported and resourced in that moment is such a contrary experience to so much of how they've lived up into that time that you know it's a bit like bam you know tears or or whatever well, as it is that just kind of has to happen totally as you're saying all that again I'm, so my training is in early developmental mm-hmm. trauma mm-hmm. early developmental trauma really pertains to the period of time like preconception in utero, mm-hmm. birth experience, of course, up to 18 months and onward. A lot of what happens to us, I don't, I don't mean to say to us, but a lot of our experience in that phase of preconception up until a couple of years old, most of that happens before words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I learned in my training, it took a while to kind of wrap my head around this, but it finally kind of landed where... Myrna was like, if a mother 
doesn't feel supported. Mm-hmm. Like the key person who should be supported by her man or mm-hmm. her partner, whoever that is, mm-hmm. by her culture, her community, excuse me, community, um, by her mothers, if that relationship is intact enough to be supported in the best way possible. When a woman has that level of support, if a, if a woman who's, who's being held in support is holding an infant, mm-hmm. that infant being will experience being held by a living, a bigger living being who is offering support to them. Mm-hmm. And the support that mother would get would um, mean that their nervous system would be better regulated and more attuned mm-hmm. to the infant being. Mm-hmm. So my goodness, when you... This is great. I love that we're talking about this because it, it links all this stuff together where, as you, as you just shared, like a woman might get up there and be like held by a larger living being with support yes, in a way that she may have, she actually may have never experienced never that in her experienced. life. And that while it's nothing from her, there's nothing you need to do in order to like earn this yeah. or have this. You can just stand here and do nothing except yeah. for and you have are this supported. sensation. Yeah, and you're supported. This is what real life support actually feels like underneath you. Breathe, yeah. drink it in. How do you breathe that in so that we then can manifest ultimately mm-hmm. more of that and so that mm-hmm. when you feel like we have blocks or barriers or preconditions around it, mm-hmm. that this becomes now our new baseline for normal. Yes. Yeah. And, and because for a lot of people, men and women, that wasn't there. I won't get too into it, but I've always wondered about the fact that like, um, the birth practices in, I think, North America in the 1940s was something called twilight births, where women were essentially almost knocked out. Right, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the woman who was essentially asleep on the table, the uterus would have been attempting to birth the baby, but mm-hmm. babies often participate in birth mm-hmm. with their body movements. But if everyone's drugged, they may may not participate as much. And then very unfortunately, for those who are birth trauma sensitive and get triggered by forceps, a lot of babies were pulled out Mm -hmm. by their head. Mm -hmm. And probably since you've watched a lot of um, births with working with horses, you can appreciate um, some of what what a more natural process Mm -hmm. would look like. Mm -hmm. And I've always wondered, like, there's more to it than this, but just from a birthplace there was a generation of women who were knocked unconscious. Mm -hmm. They weren't even conscious Mm -hmm. or participants in the birth of their babies. Um, I think it would be scary for a baby to be born to an unconscious being Mm -hmm. and be pulled out by your head. Mm -hmm. And there's a few generations of us now where a huge, I think, embodied disconnect happened there. And we're just learning for the first time how to sit on a horse and be actually supported by a, um, calling it a conscious being is one thing, Mm -hmm. but just being in an embodied being. Yeah. With a with a regulated nervous system and yeah, sort of so much. Yeah, so much, Love right? It. So much. All right, Tracy. I have a number of quotes here from your book, and I would love to read all of them, but I won't. I'm just going to read one or two. Uh, so this is a quote from your book. Quote. By naming my experience, I was able to take the charge out of how it was affecting me in our relationship by slowing down, creating a connection through touch and mutual energy, I created a new experience in my relationship that contradicted many of my earlier ones. I practiced being vulnerable and transparent. I took responsibility for my stuff and communicated it as clearly as I could to my husband in the moment. Although it felt messy at the time, 
This created a sense of inner strength and confidence in my ability to build a loving, truthful relationship. I used this hard moment to create the kind of relationship I desired with myself and my partner, authentic and loving. My chest softened, my heart rate slowed, I felt tears dry and agitation diminish. He leaned over and hugged me. He reassured me, unquote. Tracy, what I love about that paragraph I read is it summed up everything that I've learned about naming your experience, slowing down, creating connection, being vulnerable and transparent, taking responsibility. It just encompassed so many key pieces to building, rebuilding, or establishing a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You'd, we touched on this too. Here's a quote from the book too. I believe women can find a way to manage almost anything we have already for centuries. We can't, however, do everything at the same time, certainly not well. It might be difficult to mentally focus on academic learning while still navigating sleepless nights with small children. Yeah, you were talking about kind of like rhythms and times in our life mm-hmm. where paying attention to what feels what feels appropriate and being in tune with kind of a bit more of the cycle of nature. Yeah, the seasons of things, The seasons, right? thank you. Yeah, That's the kind word of I'm the seasons for. over the balance. Because I'll, I'll speak to someone and she's like, tell me all these things she's doing. And I'm like, well, she's like, I just can't find any like work-life balance. I'm like, of course you can't. This is not the time when you have little babies to be like trying to now go back and do your PhD and do a renovation on your home and, you know, like whatever else there was going on. It just, I was like, wow, we have really strayed so far when we think about like, oh, balance and something that we have to try and seek or attain where it's like, well, if we just held it as in, well, what season of life are you actually in, you know? are you in the sleepless nights time when you're driving around kids to five different sports and you're carpooling and you're picking up? Like, this is the season of life that you're in. It's not going to last forever. No. So, like, really just be in that season of life. Then your kids go and you're like, great, I'm going to go back to school or I've got more room and more space, maybe a bit more money. Now is the season where you're like, we're going to do the renovation. I'm going to go get my PhD. You know, like, that's sort of the season of life where the balance that we try and find in it feels much more... Um, conducive. Uh, also, I think for women, not only are we balancing our lives, but we're often also balancing our household or our children's yeah. lives and schedules. And so I see people beating themselves up over this like balance that they just can never seem to attain because there's this lack of honoring, really just honoring the season that you're in or the season that you really want to be in or the, the fact that this season sucks and you can't wait to get to the next one, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so... Um, I just I have a lot of like, compassion and empathy for that, probably because I too is one who was like, oh, I couldn't wait to get to kind of like the next part, and and now my kids are big and old, and I'm like, oh, there's some of those seasons where I a bit wished them away. They went by way faster than I wished they would have because I was, you know, unsupported or things were really difficult, and so um, there's some pain there. But also, what's come out of the pain is this ability to speak about it in a way where it's like. 
it's misaligned, right? We're like drinking the Kool-Aid and thinking that we have to have this like totally. work-life balance sorted out when it's never going to happen when you're a doctor and you have four kids and this is what you're doing. You're like, that's there is no work-life balance there. So what's your season? Mm-hmm. Claim it mm-hmm. and then like start to prioritize your things based on this particular season of mm-hmm. your life, knowing that soon the season will end and change and another one will begin. Yeah, well, I think when we're in it, sometimes we forget it's going to end. It mm-hmm. feels like forever. So yeah. having a supportive person reminding you that in five years from now, your whole life will look... If it's, if it's around children and, and what they're doing, um, in five years from now, what your children are doing will be different. They're going to grow mm-hmm. and develop and mm-hmm. seek their independence in an appropriate way, and you will have more freedom, and you'll have time emerge in your life to, to do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there must be a, cult, a cultural component to that it's like like we've been misinformed about well I think we've been told we can do it all you can do it all you can have it all and you're like yes you can but A not at the same time and A and B not very well you're going to manage those 16 things you go ahead sister you do it but like are you enjoying your life how's your marriage how's your health are you eating well are you taking care of yourself what's your really what are your kids even doing like do you know them very well like what's going on so sure we can do it all but like what's the quality of your life Mm -hmm. uh, like when you're doing it all and how joyful are you and how present are you to mm-hmm. all the things that you've, you know, undertaken for yourself? Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's just a bit of reality check around like, yeah, we can do it all, but is that necessarily what's really good for us right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I feel like, I feel like um, there's a bit more written down here, but I, it's, we're recorded for an hour and a half. But I do think the people who are going to, we, we live in the same community. Yeah. And I know a lot of people, I'm excited about this episode Tracy, because I know it's going to get lots of listens because I know that you're well regarded and loved and a lot of people are going to want to support your book and support you. And I'm excited about the fact that you're connected to this community in a way that this is going to get out to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to those people who, who are like, I love Tracy, so I'm going to listen. And they're going to get to like maybe experience or learn some stuff along the way, either from reading your book or listening to us chat that yeah. hopefully peak some pieces of of like, oh, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, totally. I've had the same thing with you. I told someone I was, they were like, oh, I love Kendra. I can't wait to hear what your conversation would be. And I'm like, oh, me too. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I'm, you know, I think it's, sometimes tricky to encapsulate all of this into a conversation. And so oh, God, thank yeah. you for, you know, trying to get a little snapshot of it here. And I hope that it is a blessing, right? That some, that people will be like, oh, I learned something or I felt validated somehow yeah. or I'm inspired in some way yeah, or yeah. I feel acknowledged um, yes. along the way. Or maybe it's sort of motiv- motivated me to return to something that I've left behind like or to that, pursue something. Like that book that I started to yes. write. Off, off camera, I'm yeah. going to ask you a few questions about yeah. that. Yeah, okay, shoot. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so thank you so much. Mm, I was pleasure. very excited about you coming here. I knew when I read the book, I'm like, oh, man, this could be a five-hour event. <laughs> yeah. but a I, Joe Rogan situation. <laughs> it was like three-hour conversations. Yeah. The hashtag lady version of Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and also this will be my longest episode but I think it's I think people are going to listen till the end because I think a lot of yeah we've said some good stuff some good stuff and you know the inner critic in me doesn't want to say something as bold or confident as that but I'm also just going to say it yeah you 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 might like it (laughs) yeah more please right you're like yes both and (laughs) okay so that's it for today I am so grateful for that time with Tracy. I usually like to stick to about an hour 
in our in my interviews, but as I alluded to, or I think I just outright said, I could have talked to her for hours. And maybe some of you would have been into that. And maybe, maybe that's a bit overwhelming. Either way, so grateful for this time with Tracy. And I hope you enjoyed listening to my interview. As we close today, I'm going to repeat something she said in the interview. And that was something to the effect of feel the weight in your feet, softness in your joints, and maybe soften your gaze, maybe supporting you to land just a little bit more gently or softly in your body. If this suggestion of landing heavily in your feet and in your body and softening your gaze don't feel safe for you, that's okay. That is totally welcome. I want you to do what feels right for you. Until next time.